0: All Saints uh, is a day of gratitude. A day of gratitude as we remember the saints of our lives, uh, the particular people who have shaped us and supported us and challenged us and encouraged us, the people who have shown us uh, what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. All Saints is also a day of sharing grief, of bearing one another's burdens uh, as we carry together the pain of losing people we have loved from our lives. Each year, we remember the saints of this congregation, the ones who've gone before us, the ones who are now part of uh, the great cloud of witnesses that we trust surrounds us still. Every year, we read uh, their names, and you can see the names, a litany of the names, uh, in the bulletin this morning. This year, we're celebrating our 100th anniversary, uh, so the list goes back a ways. Uh, I've been here long enough now that I know a fair number of these people, some of you are newer. Some of you might not know any of them at all. But they are part of who we are. As Kurt said last week in his sermon, uh, the past and the present and the future, they all blend together. These people uh, were part of making PMC what it is now, uh, just as we are part of making PMC what it would be into the future. Like us, they gathered uh, for worship in this meeting house uh, they supported the life and ministries of this church. Uh, they were part of figuring out, sometimes through long and hard conversations, how to follow the way of Jesus here in Portland. This morning, we're going to hear a few of their stories. I've asked Philip Hostetler and Marilyn Rush, both of who go back a ways in this congregation, uh, to tell us about some of these early names. And then Donna Kalowski is going to come and talk about Pam Gilman, who was part of this congregation when, when we moved to Portland in 19. 19- 99 as we hear the stories of their faithfulness in the past uh, may their faith strengthen ours as we strive to follow the way of jesus and seek the peace of the city now so philip will you come
1: God first uh, contacted me to ask me if I would speak particularly about my father, I said, no, I would talk about both my parents, not just my father. So this is a reflection on my parents. Cloud and Nora Hussettler moved to Portland 75 years ago this past June. So that was June of 1947. It was a move that changed the course of our lives They came as city missionaries to the Portland Mennonite Mission Church, located in northwest Portland, sponsored by the Pacific Coast Mennonite Conference. How this assignment or calling came about, I have no recollection. But they sensed a call to the work in the inner city. They had no experience, but felt that God had led them and placed them here for this service. Their positions were superintendent and matron of the mission. It's kind of an archaic name, uh, title now. You don't use that much. This meant that all functions of the church were done by their leadership and responsibilities. Really a total immersion in all programs of the church. Just listing a few. The traditional Sunday morning and evening worship services and the uh, mid-week service also. Two weeks of summer Bible school, um, four weeks of summer camp, weekly girls and boys club, and neighborhood of visitation. From an early age, I learned that the church, in many forms, was a center of our activities, which has influenced me throughout my life. Besides being the leaders of the congregation, my parents had additional responsibilities Hosting visiting ministers, evangelists, missionaries, and even people working in the city. It seemed that almost every Sunday, there was always someone or multiple someones at our dinner table. My mother was a gracious hostess and very welcoming to all. Another life influence was that the sense of hospitality is part of life. You welcome the stranger and new people. Having multiple visitors opened also for me a broader understanding of the Mennonite church, not just here in Oregon, but uh, nationally. A particular influence on me was living in the area of the city where the church was located. It was a small, ethnically integrated city block. There was a Filipino family Native American family, two Italian grocery stores where the, fam- where the family shopped, and other white families. It was also a neighborhood in transition to a more industrial area. In addition, the congregation transported children from other parts of the city. The majority were black Americans, primarily for Sunday school, Bible school, and camp. With all this diversity within our activities, I don't ever recall any racial tensions existing. I also don't remember any discussion in our home about prejudice or issues regarding race. I give credit to my parents for making it seem just a natural part of life. This influenced appreciation for diversity and, and acceptance of cultural differences in life and how this enriches a person's perspective of the world. Another aspect of our home was that we were encouraged to read and listen to music, books of all kinds, nature books, novels, real life stories of people, and of course, the Bible. This helped me expand and and add to my knowledge of life and and the world. This also was the impetus to continue my education to prepare for a professional life, an opportunity that they never had. Just a bit of history. In the mid-1950s, there seemed to be a mutual understanding between the local con- church and the conference, and that, the con- and that it was time for the congregation to stop being a mission church and become independent. This meant that financial support from the conference would end, and the conference would, and the congregation would be self-supporting. This also required my father to seek employment but yet remained as a pastor. Two jobs, so to speak. Fortunately, both my parents and the congregation survived this transition. Introspective, though it was not always easy, but through hard work, diligence, and support of the congregation, the local work of the church survived. In closing, I would say my parents' lives were a life of commitment to Christ, the church, and family an example to all to emulate and also to honor. I also thank them for being in the chain of continuance for contributing to the existence of this congregation. I do believe that this chain of continuance is an aspect of congregational life that we don't often emulate or celebrate. Sometimes we focus too much on the nitty gritty of the issues and constant change. Pastors and leadership come and go, parishioners come and go, but the steadfastness of the local church community and our commitment to Christ is central. That is evident as to the 100-year celebration that we now celebrate.
2: Good morning. I want to talk about two saints in my life and how they helped shape Portland Mennonite Church, my parents, Alan and Ivy Snyder. But before I talk about them, I want to go back further and mention others of my relatives that were involved in the beginning. Lynn, my husband, in his extensive research for the 100-year celebration, discovered that both of my grandfathers were on the mission board when the Portland mission was started. That was very interesting news to me. I'd never heard that before in in all my years growing up. Um, A couple of aunts and uncles were involved in the beginning in different ways. Also, there were cousins who were very involved in making PMC, uh, the church it is today. Now, back to my folks. We moved to Portland and started attending PMC in the early 50s. My parents soon became very involved in the church in many different ways. My dad loved singing, and sang in quartets, and led singing for many years. I, just, I remember one song he loved to leave was I owe, the, I owe the Lord a Morning Song. We sang that often in church. He was an elder, as well as the chair of the elder board many times throughout the years. He was an advisor and a good listener to Marcus Smucker, who at the time was a young minister who was ready to change the world. At my dad's memorial service, Marcus commented on how much he appreciated and valued his relationship with my dad and the thoughtful counsel he provided. He was a man of few words, but when he spoke, his words were what was needed to be heard at the time. I was told a few times, but my dad was a very wise man. I thought so too. Someone once called him the E.F. Hutton of PMC. When he spoke, people listened. (laughs) He served on the committee that looked for a new church building and helped to purchase this this building. He was probably involved in many other things that I wasn't aware of. Uh, It seemed like he was always busy with church things. This was a, a comment from my sister. It wasn't from me. He embarrassed our mom one Sunday when he went to church with bobby pins in his hair. Mom had put them in before church to hold his unruly comb-over hair in place, and he forgot to take them out. (laughs) I think it was more embarrassing for mom than it was for dad. My mom was a wonderful hostess. Our house was always open to young people who were away from their homes and families. Many of these were V.S.ers and 1Ws who served here in Portland. We often had company on Sundays and enjoyed great Sunday dinners. She was a very giving and friendly person to others. She also loved singing and was part of a trio with her sister and her niece. It was great to hear them. She got a small library started in the old church building, but when the church relocated to this building, she really got it up and running. She was an avid reader and wanted good Christian books available to all. Because of her library involvement, we were always the last to leave church. My folks were MYF sponsors for many years. It was always great for me to experience the fun activities they had planned and to see the ways that they interacted with the young kids. My folks were committed to Christ and the church and gave a lot of time and effort to the work and mission of PMC. They were loved and appreciated by many. Thank you.
3: Good morning. Marilyn is smart to have large print. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that age now. I'm here to talk about Pam Gilman, and I'm certainly not the most qualified person in this church family to speak of Pam, her daughters, her angels, who were a group of women here who provided much love and practical assistance, and and others in this church also knew and loved this woman, who to me is such a significant part of Portland Mennonite Church. Pam, for those who didn't have the opportunity to know and love, was a wife, mom, daughter, sister, friend, businesswoman, and a force of life. She died in 2006 of ovarian cancer. I wish that hadn't been. The two of us would have had so much fun causing mischief in our assisted living facility someday. (laughs) When I first arrived here at PMC in 1990, I noted this wonderful young family and thought, that's everything I want. A loving marriage, two beautiful and precocious children, a Newfoundland dog, a common faith and an understanding of what making a difference really means. But life takes some excruciating turns for many, and the Gilman family definitely started on a very winding and scary road not long after we met. In 1993, Pam discovered she had a later stage of ovarian cancer when she miscarried. I so clearly remember when her husband, Dennis, stood up in the sharing time here and let us all know about her diagnosis. The outlook was grim. Ovarian cancer is not easily cured at that stage. Pam had a bone marrow transplant at Hutchins in Seattle, which is just brutal for those who are not aware. During this time, Dennis stepped up, and with the help of this church, good friends and neighbors did his absolute best to keep life steady, happy and safe for Katie and Maggie, their very young daughters. At about the same time as Pam was diagnosed, another PMC couple, Lowell and Jeanette Ewart, who were friends of the uh, the Gilmans, discovered miraculously that Jeanette was pregnant. Jeanette had been told she couldn't have children, and the Ewarts had adopted two two kids who were roughly aged four and six. So Jeanette thought their family was complete, and she herself was shocked. Pam made it a goal to live long enough to hold Jeanette's baby, about six months or so, and that seemed an ambitious goal at the time. When Pam passed in 2006, Jacob, that unexpected gift, was 12 years old. I give the people of this church a fair amount of credit for keeping Pam alive all those years, and she did too. At our church retreat that year, the most beautiful and meaningful quilt was put together by our talented quilters, and everyone in the congregation put at least one stitch in that priceless source of comfort. Following Pam's entry into remission back at home here in Portland, Dennis began to show symptoms of what many thought was a stress reaction to what he'd gone through. His behavior and decision-making skills were erratic and sometimes scary. Sadly, Pam and Dennis split up, and Dennis ended up being houseless. This was heartbreaking for all, and the church rallied around to provide support to Pam, Katie, and Maggie, and Dennis as they continued to live with all the stress. I assumed Dennis was living with bipolar disorder or manic depression based on our conversations. He ended up being committed to the state hospital where, after a very extended stay, was finally diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. Dennis died within a year or so after being discharged from the state hospital and a nursing facility equipped to manage his needs. Pam, now in remission, went on to become the manager of the 10,000 Villages store operated with the assistance of volunteers here at PMC and elsewhere. She worked hard and was a champion of the social justice that 10,000 Villages promoted. After having to sell their house in the Mount Tabor neighborhood due to financial troubles, the Gilman girls, lived together in a small apartment until someone in this church helped them locate a house that they lived in until Pam passed, and this allowed them to add a new source of joy to their lives, Cheerio, a most excellent golden retriever. Pam was a remission. She experienced multiple episodes of recurring cancer, and it looked like things were going to be okay. I moved back to Connecticut after 9-11 in order to be close to my family, and about a year later, Pam called and asked if I could come out to visit. I was nervous. I sensed things had taken a bad turn. We were out at the coast with the Hirschbergers and Laymans, dear friends who were also part of this congregation, when Pam asked if I would take care of her beloved daughters if this latest recurrence is going to take her. I said yes without thinking because I too loved her girls. And then I got terrified by this possible responsibility when I returned home. I knew though that I would have the backing of this church and my family. However, but thankfully God knew I wasn't up to the job and Pam returned to relative health and I stayed in Connecticut for a few more years. This is all the story of Pam's journey, but I need to let a few members of our congregation here this morning know what Grammy Pammy was really like. Jeremy, Riley, River, Alder, your Grammy was smart and thoughtful and funny. She liked Triscuit crackers. She loved Jesus and she loves you. I can't remember ever laughing as hard as I did with Grammy Pammy. She was more than a bit goofy at times and that I believe is why we became such good friends. Pam loved to dance and so we did, on weekend getaways with women here in the church or in the privacy of her living room. We were not talented dancers. We grew up in the era when the church frowned on dancing but we were enthusiastic. Laughter and dancing and sharing stories is how I remember Grammy Pammy. She had facial expressions that I wish I could mimic because they just spoke volumes. Near the end of her life, I flew out to provide support to her. Those few weeks were a treasured time. I think we both knew that it was the end, but we didn't speak of it directly. We talked about our daughters, our fleeting attempts to find partners, our struggles with our jobs, the trauma we had both experienced, and our common upbringing in more conservative churches. She was very weak then, and nausea and bobbing kept us both exhausted. My most cherished memory during this time, though, was sitting in her big bed with Tyrio, singing My Life Flows On, which we're going to sing later. All, this, all that she'd been through and was experiencing at the time, and still, it was the confidence that she loved, she was loved, that made us sing. One day, after being so weak and feeling miserable, she said to me, do you know what I really want? I expected her to repeat what she'd said in the past, to see her daughters graduate, find partners, have babies, maybe even find a new love for herself. But no, what did she really want? She wanted a good hot shower. <laughs> This is going to be difficult because she had trouble walking, and I had no experience assisting in the personal hygiene of a friend, but we slowly made our way to the bathroom with the help of her walker. We finally got there, and Pam stood in front of the mirror, clearly not looking her best, pale, very thin, little tufts of what remained of her hair. She looked up at herself in the mirror and said, seductively, can I say that word in church? (laughs) <laughs> well, hello there. <laughs> and this set us off to laughing so hard that we both ended up on the floor. Thankfully, Mary Wanger arrived at the house just as we were about to pee our pants laughing. And she, as a nurse, knew how to safely get her in the tub. Sadly, because all my vacation time had been used up, I couldn't be here for the memorial service. If I had been here, I may have embarrassed myself inappropriately laughing at different episodes in our life. But maybe Pam would have enjoyed that, as being inappropriate was part of our (laughs) shtick. Pam Gilman, if you can hear me now, I'd like to thank you and thank God for your wonderful, if much too short, life. I'd like to thank this church, too, for all they did for the family. Um, And your grandchildren, Pam, are just precious. So thank you.